Hello Life Changes Church, we are so excited that you clicked on this video. We are in a series called What's It Like? As we look at the parables that Jesus told as he unpacked the kingdom of God for us. So why don't you get ready, sit back, grab a notebook, grab a pen as we get encouraged by this word. Thanks Gabriel. Uh, for asking me to preach on a weekend when I finished work. <laughs> I moved out of home, uh, sold my car, <laughs> and had to prep a sermon. So, yeah, <laughs> let's see how this goes. I will tell you that I finished my last notes at half past four. So <laughs> this is going to be great, guys. Um, I will say, as Gabe said, um, preparing the sermon was a little bit tricky. Okay, that's not working with these glasses. Um, also, if you don't know when I, why I normally, if you know me and I don't normally wear glasses, it's because... I'm blind to see far, and I was really nervous I wasn't going to be able to see my screen today, <laughs> so I was like, I better put my glasses on. Um, you can also see that I'm so in transition in my life, I didn't have time to print my notes, so it was for the laptop, but it's just how it's going to work. Um, yeah, I'm actually going to start at the ending just for a second, in that I, in chatting to Gabe, I was like, cool, I think I know what I want to talk, what I, like God wants me to say, um, and on Tuesday night, I was sitting there prepping, and I was like stressing after encounter night, and I was like, prepping and prepping, and I was like, okay, cool, yeah, I'm getting somewhere, but it just didn't feel all right, so I went to bed, and I was like, let's just, maybe you're just tired, just come back tomorrow, <laughs> I don't do well when I'm tired, I get very, I get very angry, and not a nice person, um, so I woke up in the morning, and I was just like, just praying, and I was like, God, like, something's not right here, I'm not sure what's going on, had a super busy day, and then got back into prep on Wednesday nights, and I just felt God say, like, you're not being authentic, which is a pretty hectic thing, <laughs> one to hear God say, and to say to me, because authenticity is a super huge value in my life, and um, yeah, so actually just where, where it ended up going is just to a lot more vulnerable place than I imagined I would potentially share, so please be gracious with me, um, and I will say just in case, I'm, I'm quite nervous, and when I get nervous, I fidget, and of course, Nicola, in all of her wisdom, wore the fidgetiest outfit today, so <laughs> I will try, really, look, it has like button, it has buttons all over it, I'm going to try really hard not to fidget, but you can shout at me if I do, so yeah, <laughs> um, and I guess, I'm going to guess the answer to this is yes, but have any of you ever felt like you're in a storm, a really, really big one, uh, cape of storms type storm, uh, waves tossing you around with, with no peace or faith to believe and certainly not enough like Jesus to sleep in the boat? Um, me too. <laughs> and so this is just a little bit of my story of what I call white knuckle faith um, and how God used this to breathe life into me. And I think I often have a uh, slightly skewed view of what faith means and that it's supposed to, you know, be exuberant and big and loud. But I think sometimes the truest faith that we can have is in the moments when you literally don't know how or you feel like you can't or you feel like you're about to give up and you're literally just hanging on for dear life, maybe not even a whole knuckle, just like one little finger left, like merp, clawing on there. And Genesis 2.7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. We're going to dig back into that in a second, but I'm also just going to enter a little bit of my life story over the last couple of years. And 
uh, super unexpectedly in April 2019, uh, a good couple of years ago now, which also just seems like a lifetime ago since COVID, my, uh, I got an SMS one day at work. We were just starting a really, really big new project. Uh, and ironically, also, we just were, I was working with my brother. And we were sitting in a meeting together and got an SMS from my mom saying, your dad's had a heart attack. And who anyone who's lost a parent or had someone who's been sick in your family, when it happens like that, the shock is huge. You don't know what to do. And it gets really, it gets really stressful. So obviously, we rushed home. Um, and we, when, I, when I got home and I found him at home, I'd honestly thought he'd had a stroke because like, his whole side of his face wasn't moving. And the paramedics were there already. And they were like working on him. And we didn't know what was going on. Um, and we got to the hospital, we found out later that night that he'd had what's called an ascendic aortic dissection. Um, and I know that there's medical people in the room, so I don't want to get it wrong. It's, I call it a heart attack because it's an easy way <laughs> to, to explain to people. Um, and so, yeah, basically my life fell apart that night. Um, my dad, I'm very much a daddy's girl. <laughs> I always have been. He's, he was, is my hero. Um, and so they operated that night, uh, seven hour surgery. They ironically told us to go home and sleep and we'll phone you when you're done. I'm like, <laughs> funny, that's cute. Uh, did not sleep that night at all. Uh, and four days later, uh, after multiple uh, heart attacks and inability to resuscitate him, he had a, a catastrophic um, brain bleed and we had to turn off the machines on the 11th of April. And yeah. I would not recommend it to anybody. Uh, it's pretty hectic, and I, I think grief is incredibly complicated, and you, no one can prepare you for it. No one, there's no little life lessons or a nice five-stage book about this is how you grieve when you lose somebody, and do this first or do that. But what I knew, which in retrospect I didn't know, um, was you know the stages of grief. These are the things you want to do, um, and I'm, I'm quite like a, OCD, like type A listy person, and so I was like, cool, this is my list, I'm going to do the list, I'm going to do the things, and so I was like, I'm going to do, you know, the grieving, and the anger, and the, all the bits and pieces, and I kept trying to, uh, like, quantify the stages of all the feelings that I was going through in my head at the time, um, and so our church, I was at a different church at the time, they actually had a grief counseling or grief care course thing, support group, whatever you want to call it, happening three months after my dad passed. I was like, cool, I'm going to sign up. I'm going to do the grief right. I'm going to get over it. Um, silly Nikki. <laughs> silly, silly Nikki. Um, and even <laughs> my counselor at the time was like, three months. She's like, we don't normally have people come three months after losing someone. I'm like, overachiever. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, I started the process, and, and I thought I was grieving well. I was doing things, and later that year, in September, October, I had to go overseas for work and go to um, America. And um, for context, my mom, <laughs> a typical older generation, uh, boomer generation, my mom married my dad when she was 21, and they'd been married for 42 years by the time he died. And she did not take it well, uh, as obviously losing your life partner. Um, she was largely, she hadn't worked since she had me and my brother. And so um, in the beginning, she was really strong and it start, kind of started dissolving after that. Um, and she started really, really struggling. And when I was overseas, um, I got a call from my brother to say, we're really worried about mom, um, which is a really difficult thing to hear when you're not even in the country. Um, and so I was like, okay, what are we going to do? What's going on? I was like, I'm coming back in a couple days. Like, let's get this done. And the day I came back, or the day after I came back, I think I 
forget the timelines, I also had another meeting in Stellenbosch. This is back in the day when I used to travel to go to meetings. What a wild time. Um, <laughs> and I uh, got the call from who's my, was my dad's best, is my dad's best friend saying, um, we're pitching your mom and we're taking her to the clinic because we're afraid for her life. Um, and so I have an amazing boss who literally drove me from Stellenbosch all the way through to Newlands to get, it, to, get to the clinic. Um, and yeah, that kind of started a, a process in my life of trying to figure out how um, not only to grieve my dad, but also to grieve my mom, because after that she wasn't really the person that I knew, or she wasn't the mom that I'd grown up with. Um, and so talk about complicated grief. Uh, I think on the other side of this, I think you, I can say, I don't know, it's, it's a hard thing to say, but like grieving the living is harder than grieving the dead. Um, and so through all of this, I was just kind of trying to cope and do whatever I could, but um, then 2020 came around, and of course none of us knew what was gonna happen then, and COVID happened. And I had to face, um, it wasn't the plan, I was supposed to have a flatmate, my flatmate with me, staying with me during COVID, but at the last minute his girlfriend phoned and was like, you're staying with me, or it's overs. Um, <laughs> and so he left, and I ended up staying alone in a flat. Uh, for 10 weeks by myself and had to face all of the firsts on my own. The anniversary of my dad's death, my dad's birthday, my mom's birthday, um, and that did not go well. <laughs> I would not recommend being alone in those times. Um, and so one day it really, really properly fell apart for me. Um, and I couldn't A-type it anymore. I couldn't list it. I couldn't keep it together. I couldn't <laughs> do any of the things. Um, and on a day when uh, I had my first I call it a grief attack, because I have to have labels, but really it was just a panic attack. Um, and yes, it feels like everything anyone ever talks about. It is, feels like you're having a heart attack, you feel like you're like being physically crushed. Um, and this was at a time where people couldn't come to your house, no one could visit you. <laughs> um, and on the other side of this, I'm incredibly grateful to have friends that I could just phone them, like unable to speak, unable to breathe on the phone, and they would just start praying and praying and praying and praying over me, because they couldn't come. And through all of this, I was like, I didn't really know what was going on in myself. I couldn't really like just, I couldn't quantify, I probably couldn't even really process what was happening. But what I did feel is like a failure because I felt like I was supposed to get these things right. I, was, I had this list that I was supposed to do and that I was gonna grieve well and I was gonna do these things and it didn't work. <laughs> um, and I couldn't put myself back together. Uh, and I didn't even feel broken anymore, I just felt crushed. And at the time, the saying kind of hurt people, hurt people was, was coming around in my head and I, I didn't know what to do. And for me, that's a really hard thing to admit. And I did the only thing that I could at that point in time and I asked for help. <laughs> and my incredible pastors at the time recommended an insanely amazing uh, Christian psychologist. And I did literally the only white knuckle thing that I could do in that moment and made an appointment. And I, yeah, there's a quote that says, dust begs us to believe that the promises of God no longer apply to us. And in this moment in my life, that was really, really true for me. I, when my dad died, because of a promise that had been lived out in, um, in my life over the last few years, I had insane peace at the time, even though it was incredibly hard. Um, and I never questioned God in those moments. 
which, which is strange if you think about it. In, in that time, I, didn't, I wasn't angry at God. I didn't question him. I, I just had this like insane peace and faith, but I didn't have that anymore. <laughs> I had nothing. Um, and I felt like God had gone quiet, and maybe God was angry at me. And I didn't, I didn't have peace. I didn't know what to do. And then, so I resorted to some pretty unhealthy coping mechanisms at the time. And because I tried everything, I, or I was just trying to grab onto anything that I could to reclaim control over my own life. And even though I knew I needed to get help and I'd made an appointment um, and I knew I couldn't do it on my own, I just ended up like spinning out of control and just feeling like such a failure. And I just tried to tell God why I'm not worthy of being fixed um, and why he shouldn't help me. And after a good few sessions, um, because my pastors had been walking this journey with me, I was having dinner at their house, um, and uh, he, my pastor at the time challenged me and just said to me, um, do you believe God loves you? And the honest answer was no. And I was just seeking God for, for a few weeks after that, and I just heard him say to me, and he, and he just said these words to me, and he said, will you let me love you? And I was like, okay, mm, maybe. <laughs> um, but it became a catalyst in my life for, for him to begin a restorative work that I certainly couldn't have done. Um, but it didn't come easy. I, all my defense mechanisms were activated. I presented reason after reason after reason to God as to why he shouldn't love me, why I was unworthy, why I couldn't be saved. I listed out all my unhealthy coping, coping mechanisms that I was using, and every time I messed up or made a mistake or sinned, I would just collect it as a file of evidence to present back to him to say, this is why you shouldn't love me. But in his patience and kindness, he just kept asking me the same question. And one evening, while I was journaling, I, I, I wrote this letter, which I believe God was just call, um, speaking over my life. And in preparing, he said, he's like, you really have to share this. So here we go. <laughs> and he said, remember who you are, my daughter. You are of God, from God, made in his image, loved from the depths of the Father's heart, treasured beyond imagination. Let me love you. I know you don't believe you're worthy, that you've messed up too bad, that I can't forgive the same thing again. My child, I say to you 77 times seven, stop disqualifying yourself. You don't get to choose whether I love you, I just do. More than you could know, there is only hope here. There is only peace. Let me in. I'm knocking. Let me love you. You can walk away from me, but I'll be waiting. I love you too much to let you go. You aren't a lost cause. Yes, I will leave the 99 to come to you. I will take your dust and I will make you a new creation this side of eternity and again after that. Let me love you. Lisa Turkus, who's the author that I really, really <laughs> admire, speaks about this concept of dust. She says, we think the shattering in our lives could not possibly be for any good. But what if the shattering is the only way to get dust back to its basic form? so that something new could be made. And of all the things that God could have chosen to make life, he chose dust. And Genesis 2-7 again says, then the Lord, God, the Lord God formed the man 
from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. But this isn't the only time that God uses dust in the Bible. He uses the dust off the ground in the New Testament to heal a blind man's sight. In John 9, 5 verse 6, it says, while I am in, no, I apologize, yes. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. And when dust mixes with water, it becomes clay, another ingredient that God's used. And when placed in the potter's hands, it can be formed into whatever he dreams up. And so dust doesn't have to signify an end. Dust is often what must be present for the new to begin, and it's exact ingredient that God loves using in our lives. And so when we will disqualify ourselves and we believe we're too broken, where we're too far gone, where we're like, you know, I think sometimes as Christians we've <laughs> picked up this analogy and I don't know where it comes from. I think it's real that like people in Japan where they take the broken clay and put it back together with the gold thing. I know it has a name. I can't remember what it's called. We're like, cool. Okay, well, if I'm broken, then, you know, the cool Japanese people can put me back together with the cool, with the cool gold stuff, <laughs> you know, and I'll look more pretty. I'll look more beautiful. But, but when you look at dust, you don't like I mean, I love the beach, I love the ocean, I go to, the, I pick up sand, it just, it falls through your fingers. How, how can that be an ingredient for something new to be made? And so more than two years into this healing journey, um, I can claim Psalm 18, 19 in my life. It says, he led me to a place of safety. He rescued me and he delights in me. I am a new creation. I'm still being shaped and conformed into his image, and I still have a long way to go. I still struggle to let him love me. But he is there every day just reminding me that I am worthy of a love like his. And he's so patient, and he's so kind, and he just keeps bringing me back to himself, removing my guilt and my shame. And I truly believe that God wants us to make us new, and he, doesn't, he will use whatever is in your life and it is true that we'll only be completely made new without pain or without trouble, without hurt on the other side in heaven. But I also believe that we get a glimpse of this if we'll let him on this side of eternity, that he will make us new. And, you know, we speak about being conformed into the image and becoming like Christ. I think something that we forget as the church is that that's not really a pretty process. <laughs> sometimes it's in the undoing that we are remade. And sometimes... Um, Something my pastor used to say to me as well is people love the, the, the good parts of the gospel, but the gospel included suffering. It's not, life is not without pain, and I think sometimes we can be, you know, the happy clappy church or the put the smile on your face Christian, and I know I'm certainly guilty of that. I'm like a pretty positive person as well, so even in my pain, I don't like to show that to people that it's real and it's there. It's not a popular message. It's not something that's a super fun message to preach, to be like, God will use your suffering and your dust to reform you. But, but he does want to, and he wants us to allow him to use it. And he will use it, and if we let him. And he will take, the most beautiful thing to me is he will take the depths of despair. He will take something that is shattered and make it new. And for me, when I think about being a Christian, this is what it is. I think, I think about trying to cope in life and with my issues and, and all these things if I wasn't a Christian, because then my sand just, my dust stays dust, my sand stays sand, there's no one to reform it, because I can tell you I tried. <laughs> In every piece of my ability, I tried to fix myself, I tried to put myself back together, I tried to do the Japanese clay thing with the gold, it didn't work. Um, <laughs> but also, when we think about it, isn't this what church is supposed to be? 
a hospital for the sick and not a museum for the saints. We don't have to have it all together. We can come and, you know, we talk about, you know, come as you are to church, come with your problems. And I think, you know, just welcoming the, the partners here this morning, or this evening, not this morning, um, I've seen that a life changes. You know, we welcome wherever you are, whatever life stage you're in, and it's so incredible. And the most beautiful thing for me is that he's not embarrassed by my pain or my tears. He's not put off. He's like, oh, put yourself together, girl, get it together. No, he welcomes them, he invites them, and we just have to come and lay them at his feet. And I think that is so beautiful. And there is healing to be found because dust is the ingredient which God loves to use. And I just want to pray for us tonight. I don't know where everyone is. I don't know what your situations may be. I don't know what promises of God you feel like might have died, may have been crushed to dust, something that you've been holding on for so long, but you don't have the faith to believe anymore, or a situation in your life, or somebody in your family, or just facing a hurt that's so deep that you just have, you have one finger, you have a knuckle that is white, and you are just hanging on for dear life, and you're asking God, please, God, do something. I just truly believe tonight that he wants to move and that he's here and he wants to love you and he wants to pour out so much love over your life. And I can't promise things are going to get better tomorrow and I can't promise an instantaneous miracle, but I can promise you that he wants to work in your life if you will. And he wants to love you if you will let him. And so God, this evening, I just pray that just let your presence flow in this place tonight, Father God, Lord, you know the hearts of your people, Lord God. You know the pain, Lord God. You see the tears that no one else does, Lord God. You see the questions and the feelings of failure and the anxiety and the depression and the fear over people's lives, Father God. But you are not embarrassed. You are not turning your head, Lord God. In fact, you are bending down and saying, let me love you. And I pray, Lord God, that this tonight you would just begin a work in people's lives that that this would be a catalytic moment in their lives when they would look back in a couple of years and go, God loves me. God, I let God love me, and this is where, what, the work that he has done. And, Lord God, I thank you that you are, you do the work of transforming us, of conforming us into your image, into your, to becoming more like Jesus, God, if we would just let you, if we will work with you, Lord God. And I thank you more than anything that our brokenness is not the end of, an end of the story. It's, in fact, the beginning of your story. And we are so incredibly grateful for that, Father God. I just pray that you would, yeah, Lord God, do a work that only you can do, Lord God. Let your presence just flow in this place and begin to take that dust, Lord God, and, and as we... As you breathe over us, Lord God, like, that you, like you did over the dust in Genesis, Father God, that there would just be a new life, a new creation being formed here tonight, Father God. And we thank you. We thank you that, that you have that power, Lord God, and we can come and claim it in your life, Lord God. We pray this in your name. Amen. Before we clap for Nikki and say thank you, because I think it is, we have to allow what God is saying here. You know, Nikki started by saying that she's, doesn't have great eyesight, you know? But I think in a, in a spiritual sense, she's helped us see God a little more clearly. Helped us see Him clearly. It's easy sometimes when things get a bit crazy in our life to start having a distorted view of God. We start reimagining what He is or isn't doing in our life. And I love the narrative of Genesis 2 because the first image mankind gets of being formed out of dust of God is not of God, thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. It's not of God far away going, what you doing down there, boy? Not a God saying, pull yourself up by the bootstrap. No, it's of the Father leaning over him, breathing his life into the dust. That's the first image. The first time man gets sight is of God 
breathing life, making something beautiful out of his dirt. The crazy thing, if you look at dust all the way through the Old Testament narrative, from that moment, from the garden onwards, dust gets a negative connotation throughout the Old Testament. What would happen if you were angry with someone, there was a symbolic gesture, if you were breaking relational uh, realities with somebody, you'd pick up the dust and you'd throw the dust at them. In the Old Testament, the narrative would say, this is how you break relationships, throw the dust at them. That's when the break, uh, breaking happens. They said if you were grieving, you would then sit in the dust. So the people would come, they will mourn, they would actually sit in the dust and mourn there, and they would get stay in that position for ages and cover themselves in dust, and, and, and this, this tragedy would be signified by the use of d- dust, and there's this reality that when you would come and you have an enemy, and you would, if you were defeated, if an army came and defeated you, what they'll do to signify your defeat would they'll get the ruler of the opposing nation and tell them to lick the dust. An act of hum- humiliation that you are defeated and that you, this is all you are to us, that you are just a plaything for our nation. And then you can see even in the New Testament, the, the, Jesus gives the disciples saying, if people don't receive you, if, they, if people then cause offense and don't receive you well, what is the phrase he uses? He says, shake the dust off your feet. Just that meaning like, don't even, don't even deal with them and move on. And dust has given like this negative connotation. And then as Nikki so beautifully showed us that actually that God is in the remodeling business, the redefining business. In John chapter 20, we find this reality where it says Mary comes to the, the tomb and her whole life is shattered, shattered, everything. It was the, the 11th of April moment. It was that moment where everything she'd hoped and dreamed and pinned her future on Jesus, now he's died and it's gone. And she comes to this moment and she's weeping and she sees this man coming towards her and I can imagine her, she's almost like she was going, I've got bad eyesight, she can't see properly because of the situation. And the scripture, the writer John says, is seeing Jesus. The first person that saw Adam in Genesis, seeing God was of, of, this, of, of not of a God forth, but of a, a somebody with his hands in the dirt, reshaping the dirt. The first image of seeing the resurrected Christ, Mary said she thought he was the gardener. We often will read over that. But actually, was she short-sighted or was she actually seeing correctly? That the first image of the resurrected Christ was not a king coming saying, you will bow down. But actually, just like Genesis, a gardener saying, I'm here, give me your dirt. I'm still working in the dirt of this world. That's what Jesus wants to reveal himself to us. Nikki is showing us tonight. He's a good father. He's a gardener who says, give me your broken pieces. Bring them to me. Every other religion says, work your way towards me. We have a father who says, I'm coming to you in your mess, in your dust. Let's stand and I think Nikki has led us so well, so expertly with her humility. Thank you. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your sermon prep this week. But thank you for the last 20-something years yeah, of prepping and to help us. Why don't you open your heart to God, close your eyes, whatever you need to do. I think these are moments of vulnerability. We are so good at conning everyone around us that we are okay. We are so good at conning ourselves that we are okay. We cope with busyness, we cope with relationships, we cope with medication, we cope with addictions, we cope with, with, with other devices, and they just actually compile, and the dust gets bigger and bigger, and we don't know what else to do with it, and just becomes symbolic of that we owe in over our heads. Why don't we just take the mask off with the one who needs it the most? Him, our Father, who knows us, who knows our weaknesses, knows our failures, and says, actually, I'm the gardener. I'm the one who comes to make beautiful things out of your dust. Be honest with him right now. You don't have to say it out loud, but why don't you confess your weakness to him? Say, God, I, I th- I'm depressed. 
God, I'm defeated. God, I'm anxious. God, I'm addicted. God, I'm, I'm broken. God, I don't know what to do. Here is my dust. Give yourself a few seconds. Do that. Do that to God. Tell him. Say, this is, this is, name it. And now hand it over to the gardener. I thank you. Holy Spirit, would you come and move and work? I don't pretend to know what's going on in everybody's story and, our, and some horrific stories that are potentially playing out in our hearts, pain that's so deep, scars that are so severe that we just don't know how to move forward. But I thank you, Father God, as the masks come down, the tide of your grace starts to rise. The tide of your grace starts to rise and you say, I'm the God who's come to redefine your story, reshape your story, remodel your story. What was defeat will become your victory. What was your trauma will become your story. What was death will become life. I thank you, that is the heart of the gospel. So Father, I pray, minister to your sons and your daughters. They're yours, and you love them more than we could ever imagine. And I thank you, Father, would you do this right now. With every eye closed, maybe just, I really feel there's a faith in this room to, with vulnerability, to say, I'm in, I've been running from God. Maybe you're here tonight, you've been running from God, and you've been You've had all the excuses in the book, but you say, I'm, I'm surrendering. Tonight, I'm surrendering. This is my full stop, me getting to the end and me saying, I'm not lo no longer going to white knuckle my way through this. I'm actually just going to give up and say, Jesus, it's you. I'm in all in on you. If that's you, maybe this is for one person to say, I'm going all in on Jesus tonight. If that's you, why don't you just lift your hand very briefly. I think it's a small act. Thank you. It says, thank you to a couple of people. Three. Cool. Thank you. Our Father, I thank you that... You see these hands that go up and they seemingly small physical gestures, but behind them are hearts that are saying, faith, I'm going all in on you, Jesus. I thank you, Spirit, would you come and do what only you can do? Restore. Restore what the enemy has stolen. I thank you, Father God, our future is in you. In the year that King Uzziah died, we see the Lord. We see the Lord, and he's seated high on a throne of power and might, And yet he's also the gardener who walks into our dust and says, I will remodel and reshape what you give to me. I thank you for this good reality, Jesus, of who you are. We love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. What an amazing word. We hope you enjoyed that sermon. If you would like to find out more about Life Changes Church, why don't you go into our website or you can follow us on our social media. Have an amazing, amazing week.